Hello and welcome to Zooming Tropes. We're on Zoom. <laughs> I'm David. And I'm Hannah. And yes, today uh, we are we are doing the Zoom thing, embracing the the technology <laughs> of quarantine. If you guys didn't know, if you don't watch like the video version of our podcast that we we put up every week, um, we've been recording it on Zoom. And and t- to celebrate, I have my little. Zoom hat on that you can't see if you're listening to the podcast. You're a Zoom stand. <laughs> I'm definitely not a Zoom stand, but it it's, it does <laughs> it is the app of choice. It seems like uh, for for all of our interactions, and it, it, in so doing, it's also infected our TVs, right? I mean, it's yeah. We're all living in the grid right now, in the Matrix style. <laughs> we're on the grid, or no wait, that's a Tron thing, right? That's not Matrix. We're we're all in the Brady Bunch. We're all in the Brady Bunch. These days, uh, so uh, I, I wanted to talk about the the television that we're experiencing right now. Television in in quarantine. Television produced socially distanced. Yeah. And one of the major tropes that sort of evolved out of the necessity of socially distanced production, the Zoom TV episode, the the episode that takes place entirely on the computer screen through a Zoom or Zoom-like interface. Yes. Or, you know, more than just, um, you know, the Zoom episode, we're also now getting Zoom shows, like entire series that are Zoom-centric. And, you know, sometimes they're actually shot on like Zoom, like using Zoom specifically. Sometimes they're shot like on everybody's iPhones because it's hard to get everyone like a really nice camera, but you can get them. A decent iPhone. (laughs) And then some of them are shot just totally fake Zoom, you know, like there's actually people in their apartments, you know, shooting them. Yeah. Or they're going to specific sets and shooting but it just looks like it's a Zoom meeting that you're watching, that you're you're Zoom bombing. <laughs> so no, I, I haven't been able to find like a good list compiled by anyone of like every fictional TV show that involves Zoom communications. Yeah. So you made one. You did it. Yeah. So so I thought we would just kind of run through like the history of this, the you know how it's come to be that this is the way TV is now. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, Especially since a lot of these shows people are just not watching. (laughs) There's a total, like, non-participation. There's, like, a total non-participation in... (laughs) these these shows that are meant to be, I guess, cultural touchstones of some kind. Yeah, yeah, they're supposed to be... I mean, there's definitely a vibe, especially to, you know, a lot of the one-offs, that this is an event of some kind. Right, but the, it's an event that no one cares about. Right, because everyone's sick of looking at Zoom screens on their own, and so they're like, why do I want to watch Tina Fey on a Zoom screen? Right. I, I almost don't care that much. So as far as I can tell, the, the very first... Zoom fictional television that was produced was the Saturday Night Live at Home series. Because, of course, you can't do a live show at home. And, of course, you had all of these uh, late-night talk shows 
that were started to be recorded in the home around this time. But right. Saturday Night Live is kind of in between. It's like a variety show. You know, there's musical performances, but there's also live sketches. But so they just were like, what if we just record the live sketches and then show them? Right. And so that's kind of what happened. So the first one was hosted <laughs> by Tom Hanks, who was one of the first like big celebrities to be diagnosed with COVID and then to recover. Uh, so so he was he was the first to host and you had a lot of just terrible normal SNL sketches like you know a bad uh, a bad President Trump impression but it had to be done audio only because they couldn't get the the makeup team to come in and do uh, Alec Baldwin's makeup right and uh, you had some like some music videos some Pete Davidson sort of uh, I kind of liked the Pete Davidson music videos I'm not gonna lie like <laughs> yeah no I think I think that the younger cast members kind of have like yeah. a better sense of what a YouTube video is right. and what it's supposed to be like. So I think that is part of what makes them better at dealing with these things. Right, right. Uh, but but the things that I found interesting were like the Zoom centric sketches. Right. Um, so there was like one sketch that had AD Bryant and um, Kate McKinnon. Yeah, Kate McKinnon as like these old ladies on a Zoom call, and they you know they don't understand like the privacy of yeah. of zoom and it, it now it's reached like a level where it's like almost not funny anymore because you have like yeah. stories about people like legitimately not realizing it and and like taking off their clothes on zoom and sexually harassing people on zoom and so like the joke of AD Bryant bringing the zoom call into the bathroom with her is maybe not as funny now but at the time man it still wasn't funny <laughs> Oh my god. But yeah, it was like almost all of the sketches kind of, uh, like, they're trying to adopt this internet-friendly aesthetic because the place where we associate, like, a webcam filming us or, like, a very, you know, a medium shot of somebody's, you know, shoulders up and they're talking, <laughs> we associate that with YouTube, with Twitch, yeah. with Instagram, with TikTok, and all of these things kind of are becoming more enmeshed with TV as a result of quarantine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's interesting because I think on the internet, um, you know, there's this idea that these are supposed to be very, like, this shot feels very confessional. Yes. You know, and, like, TV has sort of used that um, with, like, mockumentaries and documentaries as sort of, like, you know, the talking heads section of of those sorts of um, features. And so now they're sort of having to play around with what we're expecting. And, like, it's not just sort of intimate confessional or when it is, like, how are we we sort of coping with the fact that we're not just intimately confessing to, you know, an, an anonymous internet or to one or two friends, but to potentially, like, an entire Zoom call of people. Right. Yeah. So all of these things are kind of starting right at the beginning. This is back in April, you know, before, before anyone really knew what was going on, but there was still, like, just enough time to produce some television, you know, yeah. on the tight schedule that, that Saturday Night Live has. Uh, And then you start to have, you know, other people sort of putting together fundraisers and public service things in order to kind of, you know, raise, raise awareness for the disease and and to bring, you know, and to feed people. And then every episode, I think, including the Tom Hanks one includes like a big 
thank you to our our essential workers you know and it's it's kind of this like i don't know how would you how do you feel about like these these like thank you statements do they come across as authentic to you i mean i don't think that any of these people are like fuck essential workers you know like i I don't think they're they're antagonistic towards these people but you know saying thanks on a tv show feels about as empty as like new yorkers clapping for people it's like yeah okay you're thanking us but like i'm still out here risking my life what are you gonna do about that you know like it doesn't it doesn't address the material needs and concerns of these people in any realistic way yeah i i think i think that's a good way to put it it's just that it's it's symbolic it's purely symbolic yeah. uh and you know so a lot of these things that are happening don't really affect the celebrity class, the television-making class in any meaningful way. And so them just sort of, you know, clapping for essential workers and and often including, like, police in that in the (laughs) the early months, uh, you know, that that can be kind of awkward. Right, and it doesn't affect these, you know, because I I don't want to lump the entire entertainment industry together because lots of people in the entertainment industry have been really, really negatively impacted by this um especially like crew members and you know bit actors and live theater actors and musicians and you know people like that but these uh you know the tina Fey's of the world and the kate mckinnon's of the world are fine you know they still have a job they're still doing things they can order uber eats like it's not the end of the world for them yeah at the same time like i do respect the you know that a lot of people who aren't suffering in any material way are still suffering emotionally and socially and everything i'm I'm not saying that those things don't matter but to be able to go on television and do a big sketch about how we're all suffering under covid can come across as like well it's a little uneven and also since all of your sketches are shot to be like zoom meetings you're kind of reflecting a particular experience of quarantine right a wealthy work from home experience of quarantine yeah yeah for sure um so yeah that was the beginning that was back in April and then like what what kind of stuff was coming out after that Uh, well also in April we have the the BuzzFeed Tasty special uh, Saturday Night Seder right so a bunch of Jews and a bunch of not Jews <laughs> goys just uh, you know telling the story of of Passover yeah which I wasn't sure if that like counts as fictional television but it's there's a there's a sketch kind of storytelling element to it so I think it counts yeah yeah um, you know then we get Sesame Street jumping in on the action in in mid April um, with Elmo's playdate right so now we have the start of you know we have to we have to teach kids what's going on we have to right. you know help kids to understand this complicated thing yeah and also to teach them how to socialize and have fun so they don't grow up to be psychopaths <laughs> uh, or you know otherwise just desocialized humans right that's that is definitely as someone who's currently working with um like young children like that is one of the major concerns is their um their social and emotional development and like there's almost more worry about that than like you know math and reading right. development because like those are skills that you can continue to build and pick up throughout your life but like knowing how to like share and control your emotions and like interact with other humans is like really key essential stuff that like a lot of kids are being like low-key deprived of right now right unless it ends up being
being less important in the future because we'll just be stuck inside forever. Yeah, it's fine. Um, in which case, they might be better uh, prepared than us to socialize over Zoom for that extended period of time. God, I hope not. Um, it, continuing the Muppet trend, uh, Apple TV Plus had the rights to the Fraggles, so they just ma made some quick little music videos, um, but they were also shot socially distanced, so I wanted to include that because yeah. that's Apple TV Plus kind of getting in on the game, the Muppet game. The Muppet game. Well, I'll take that, Disney. Um. Yeah, there was more Muppets later. I don't. Do we, we? Should we just address all of the Muppets? Should we? All right, we can. We can just Muppet our way through this. Right. Disney Plus had Muppets Now, which had all been all the sketches for that had been shot before quarantine, but they put together this like kind of slapshot uh, narrative the, the to to tie all of the sketches together, uh, shooting everything on a desktop. You know, uh, as as a you know web chat about uploading all of the sketches to the internet and it's skeeter is like on the computer chatting with people giving him notes before he's uploading all of these these sketches so right. muppets very easy to do socially distanced because you could just put them in front of a green screen and then they could be in the same room they could be anywhere you know, you don't have to build a set necessarily, um, or you can build a set and you can just transplant them into it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's definitely easy. Like, you know, there's definitely green screen with Elmo and Elmo's dad um, in, yeah. in the first Elmo's playdate. And then in August, uh, the HBO, um, who owns Sesame Street, um, did a, a, another one, Elmo's Playdate Scavenger Hunt. Right. So Sesame Street, in addition to doing those, you know, first couple specials, they continued to partner with CNN to explain a lot of what's going on to kids and to families. So there was a special called The ABCs of COVID uh, that was back in April 25th. Um, and then after the George Floyd uh, killing happened in uh, in June, there was a special called Coming Together, Standing Up to Racism, a CNN Sesame Street town hall for kids and families. And then there was a Sesame Street special about uh, the same thing that was in October 15th, so very recently, called The Power of We, a Sesame Street special, which was more about this, uh, you know, the idea of solidarity and, and social justice in the context of puppets, which I think it's good for, you know, to teach kids about these things. Yeah. I think that's that's positive. It's, it's interesting that this move is happening, like, after they're on HBO, but a lot of these specials are still being shown on PBS, so it's just a slightly different pathway to yeah. public television. Yeah. Um, where it's being produced, like, sort of supplemented by HBO, and it's also functioning as kind of like an ad for HBO, even though they right. are showing the more important, like, socially relevant specials on PBS and on other channels. Right, but I think it's so interesting because, you know, most families, even if they are accessing PBS, they might not necessarily be accessing it through their cable channels, like they are potentially streaming CBS. Like I know lots of families use the PBS like website to yes. stream Sesame Street episodes for their kids. And the newer Sesame Street episodes, even the specials are not available on the PBS website. Well, some of them, some of them were and some of them weren't. I think that some of them were yeah. designed to be HBO exclusive and then the more socially relevant ones are on there. I think Power of We is up there. 
Oh, is it? Um, yeah. But some of the the original older ones, like Elmo's Playdate, um, are no longer still on PBS. Yeah, I think that one. I think that one was specifically just for HBO Max, and it was kind of a branding thing that they did. But they initially broadcast it on like all of their channels. So okay. it was on like all the HBO channels, but also on PBS Kids, on TBS, TNT, True TV, and even Cartoon Network played Elmo's Playdate. So. It was kind of this, like, public service thing that was also promotional. Got it. And I think that's how you see a lot of these networks dealing with COVID, is that everything is simultaneously, like, a a social benefit, but also a branding opportunity for them. (laughs) Right. And a way to situate themselves as, like, you know, we want to end hunger during COVID. We want to... Look how good we are. We don't just want your subscription money. (laughs) Right. We care about hunger. We care about mental health. We care about racism. We care about yeah. these things. And that's sort of the way that they choose to deal with this crisis. Right. You know, TV in crisis becomes like a public service. Right. So sort of jumping back to uh, April, um, you know, we have also jumping across the pond. The BBC gets into the action um, and they, they do a children in need and comic relief sort of like mishmash fundraiser uh, called the Big night in. Right. Um, I I did not get. I, a t- I like the I like the title of this one. Yeah. Because it, it's the big night in. Like we're just taking a night to not go out, <laughs> and we're just relaxing, and it'll just be all be over in the morning, and then we'll all go back to work, and it'll be fine. You're right. But I mean, this was this was like you know their usual sketch comedy whatnot. Um, yeah. In the name of fundraising for. And musical performances. And musical performances and speeches and, you know, all the things that they would typically do um, for their comic relief events, but they're just mm-hmm. having another one. Uh, the BBC, of course, you know, as opposed to a lot of American television is is publicly funded. It's funded by licensing fees that people pay to use the iPlayer or to uh, to just get television at all on, on their mm-hmm. sets. Um, so it, they have a different sort of funding system, but not totally different because they're still trying to export properties overseas and, yeah. and you know, sell... That brings in money as well. Add time on those things, sell things to Netflix. Um, right. And they're also still trying to sell DVDs, though that's not as big a market anymore. No, just for collectors. <laughs> but but still, I think that the, the BBC content is very different from, like, for example, NBC's content. Um, in, mm-hmm. in number of programs and in quality of programs and, and goal of programs. Yeah. The BBC actually has this policy plan, I don't know what you'd call it, initiative, uh, which is called Culture in Quarantine, okay. where they're trying to make television sort of replace museums and art uh, and just kind of represent a new way to experience culture. They have a book club. That's through television where you have celebrities reading their favorite books and you're supposed to read along with them. So Interesting. It's, it's very much of like we have to uplift people culturally during this troubling time where they cannot experience culture for themselves. Very like, right. you know, paternalistic, very, um, you know, elitist kind of media. <laughs> sure. Which I don't, I don't necessarily uh, object to. I, it's just like very different goals than what you're having in in America. Right. Or it's like, we need to desperately entertain these people so they stop rioting in the streets. (laughs) Because it's interfering with our profits. Right. Exactly. Um, And we need to sell ad time. And we need to, we need to, in the case of NBC, 
we need to replace our big upfront ad selling event that's coming up that we were going to have a big ad presentation to sell ad time for the whole you know 2020 2021 season yeah. uh, and now that's not going to happen <laughs> so what do we do we got to make call on the big hitters got to make some specials right um so yeah th- that was that was sort of what happened next after the saturday night live at home specials were i guess a meager success or they'd experimented enough and they were ready to put it to the test yeah so that's that's i think when we get the the parks and rec special right yeah. which is is a, a piece of dead media it yeah. doesn't exist anymore uh except in illegal places so what, what did you think of the parks and rec coronavirus zoom special i mean like i i know your opinion already so i'm very defensive but like it was fine like i don't know that i needed to really see these characters again so like you know like when i first heard that there was gonna be a parks and rec reunion special i was like why (laughs) like i liked the show a lot but like it's it's over now. Am I a bad fan? Like, am I just not into it that much? Like, I I just don't care. And, you know, it, it itself, it I think it functions a lot as a public service announcement. You know, like, wear a mask outside, social distance, follow the guidelines being put out by the government, blah, blah, blah. Right. But with a specific focus on mental health, I think that's the key for this episode, is that it's really centrally focused on... Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the way that it opens opens with well not opens immediately but one of the first sketches is of uh ben wyatt again in his isolation yeah he has resorted to stop motion animation and remaking the cones of dunshire into a into a feature film so it's 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 reflecting on his issues with mental health in the past and contextualizing them for the isolation that he's feeling under COVID. And there's repeated references to people needing to stay social in order to, you know, maintain their mental health. That's why uh, Leslie sets up this, like, phone chain, which is sort of the loose narrative thread that connects just random phone calls between characters. Yeah, it's very weird, (laughs) this phone chain idea. I don't know if anyone has actually practiced this in real life or not. No, because everyone just has phone, you know, uh, just meetups. But that doesn't work narratively for, like, a sitcom because you need individual scenes or else it just becomes unbelievably dull. Uh Um, Which which is how I felt about uh, the the reunion special for Happy Endings, which premiered, uh, which is an ABC show, and they released it only on YouTube. <laughs> so that was, like, uh, another weird one. That that didn't come out until uh, until July 20th, but, you know, it's jumping in. Right. Also, it's like, who is asking for the Happy Endings reunion, of all things? <laughs> like, I think it had, like, a kind of cult following, that show. I mean, I guess. it. Like, it definitely did. Like, I know people who were passionate about it but and i think it was really just that the people who made that show like they really like each other yeah that's legit that's legit (laughs) that's what's important to making a reunion it's not fan demand it's yeah do the cast want to see each other again right right that's that's (laughs) legit that's legit yeah so you know i don't know what do you have any other thoughts on the the parks and rec special Um, yeah i i do the um the, the their messaging i think in some ways conflicts with like the characters because I, I look at like Ron Ron Swanson 
this like complete libertarian, I hate the government, I don't believe in government propaganda person. And he has also agreed to wear a mask, to social distance. And, you know, it just seems so false coming out of his mouth. Like we know he would be an anti-vaxxer and an (laughs) anti-masker and an anti-science person. He just, he embodies that persona. Well, he's he's never been anti-science. Like that has never been Ron's thing. Okay, I guess, yeah, not necessarily anti-science, but he's anti-medicine. He, there's a, there's an episode where yes. he gets the flu and he refuses all medicine, refuses to go to the hospital. Yeah. He's wearing, you know, like a puffy coat and he's like totally dehydrated and like, and comes in and is like, you have to go to the hospital. And he's like, damn you woman. Cause it's the whole idea of, of, of toughness and personal responsibility right. and, and all of that, uh, that he definitely subscribes to. Right. So of course he would not be social distancing. He would be celebrating the government's probably, you know, somewhat <laughs> shut, shut down. down. Yeah. Uh, and that parks are closed. He would be excited about that, but he would not be gung-ho about all of this, you know, I can't go to my favorite store without wearing a mask. That's that's my freedom. Or or go get my haircut from the same guy for $5. Like, yeah. Right, exactly. Yes. I mean, he would absolutely be breaking quarantine to go get secret haircuts from yeah. his, like, weird friend. Yes. <laughs> um, the, so, I mean, it's in, in the nature, it, like, in the spirit of we need to provide wholesome public service entertainment for and fun and you know it has to be a fundraiser that doesn't contradict its own message they kind of make Ron Swanson into this you know I also care about other people and not just myself <laughs> character well I mean that's the thing you know Ron Swanson does not necessarily not care about others but he definitely is highly individualistic and you know doesn't believe in the nanny state and you know he also when when he's he's told about mental health resources he pulls out yeah. a, a bunch of whiskey and says this is the only mental health I need yeah so it's you know it's 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 kind of undercutting its own message just with that one character which yeah. is sort of like the point of Parks and Rec is that it was this story about political people setting aside their differences and you know supporting a common cause to get stuff done to get stuff done right for for the public good uh, and that's exactly what we're seeing here. Did you find any of like the public, the local TV things, you know, the return to you heard with Purd or anything like that? Did you find any of that useful or interesting for understanding local TV's response to COVID? No, not at all. I mean, I also, I feel very disconnected from local TV since I am a hardcore millennial and, like, don't right, watch TV. Like, right. right. I mean, we technically have, like, a free, you know, like, basic access, uh, like, transmitter or whatever, but, like, we don't watch it ever. No. <laughs> like... <laughs> we're we're just on the computer all the time, and we we watch things on our own time. We're not tied to the linear linearness of traditional television. The the next special that that came out chronologically was May fourth. It was the final episode of the CBS drama, kind of kind of dramedy, I guess, but mostly drama, All Rise, which is like a courtroom drama about a a young African-American woman who's a judge of uh, a California, of a Los Angeles court. And, 
Yeah, I, I, I really think this episode kind of, it kind of represents like maybe the possibility of quarantine TV to address certain segments of our society that now have been forced onto Zoom uh, because it's sort of covering how the court system might actually work and function under Zoom and yeah. and what the challenges are to, you know, criminal justice yeah. under a quarantine where people cannot you know, see their jury in person or meet with their lawyer in person and they're forced to do it over these, you know, over webcams that are probably made by for-profit companies profiting off of prisons. Right. It's it's a tough thing. And, and I think All Rise really does try and try its best to address that, especially since it was written so hastily and they canceled whatever their normal season finale would have been. Do you feel that that this episode, did it have sort of like a come together kind of message to it? Or or do you think it was a little bit more more critical or cynical? Like like how would you place it? It definitely had the the moment at the end of the episode where there's like a big dance thing and there's like a million squares and I think some of them are like fans and I think some of them are crew uh-huh. because they really made a big deal out of the fact that this was produced socially distanced because this was very early in quarantine and it was still weird and different to do a drama right. socially distanced and everyone's just filming themselves. They set up their own little, you know, tripods and then have their laptops up. And the audio is the best they can do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think most of their audio was, was pretty much fine. I mean, it's definitely not TV quality, but it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to kind of sound like a Zoom call. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's so they made a big deal out of the, the, the production, which of course, like you were saying, how this affects like crew members. I mean, there are no crews. Yeah. Uh, What the crews are doing now is they're sort of offering their expertise over Zoom to kind of assist where these actors are kind of self-directing, they're self-camera operating, they're self-lighting, they're self-everything. And it's all of these people, like the lighting person's job is to, you know, say, all right, flip on that light and turn on that light. And here, like, here's how you set up this ring light that we mailed to you. And then the costume designer's job is to, like, mail you clothes and say, all right, well, here's, like, what I think you should wear. And, you know, here's here's how you should do your own makeup. And here's how you should do your own hair. Right. Here's my makeup tutorial. <laughs> here's my hairdo tutorial. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's kind of a fascinating thing where, yeah, instead of doing the actor's makeup, they're right. doing a makeup tutorial. Uh, they're becoming producers of themselves and makeup designers of themselves. Um, on the exact opposite end of the spectrum, I think, from All Rise, we have Nickelodeon uh, Danger Force did a a quarantine special. And I gotta say, I feel like of all of them, this is the one that I just had, like, the least amount of patience for. <laughs> right, well, I mean, it's a kid's show. I don't know if anybody who watches is familiar with Danger Force or its prequel series, Henry Danger. You know, this is like a this is like a franchise for Nick right now. It's it's about superheroes and not, and it's like an adult superhero and his like kid sidekicks. In the original show it was one kid yeah. sidekick and now it's like four you know, it's it's like a diverse cast of, of 
you know, racially diverse kid superheroes. But this is called Quarantini because there was a fart <laughs> release. It basically is just a bad smell in the whole town, so you can't go outside. Right, they're, the fart factory releases, like, a gas leak, and so they can't go outside. Yeah, or, or no, it's the butt factory, that's what it it's is. It's a way to sort of address the... The disease without without requiring them to explain right. uh, what a disease is in case the kids' parents have not told them yet. Or don't believe in that. <laughs> or don't believe in it. Yeah, you're right. There might be a political sort of angle to it where it's it's kind of a hoax created by a, uh, a supervillain. Uh, in this case, Ariana Grande's brother, I think. Is that who he's supposed to... Frank, the great Frankini? I don't think he has anything to do... Yeah, Frank Frankini is... He's played by... I think Ariana Grande's brother. I think I read that somewhere. Oh, okay. I don't know. But it's it's very strange just because he, like, he's so queer-coded. And it's like, ah, yeah, those... But it's like the fucking... Oh, the queers caused the quarantine. It's just like the AIDS. It's AIDS all over again. <laughs> right. He's like gay Joker and... Uh, it's horribly problematic. Yeah, he's super... He's a, he's a somewhat problematic figure. But he's the, the arch nemesis of Captain Man. I don't know. I don't understand. I don't think that there's anything like that significant in this episode other than I'm really interested in the idea yeah. of the laugh track being, like, still a part of this. Because for the, the SNL at home thing, obviously there's no laugh track added. There's no live audience except for Michael Che for one of the weekend update segments decided that he would he he said that um you know comedy without a without laughter like live comedy without laughter looks like hostage footage <laughs> that was like a quote from the the sketch and i thought that was just such a great summation of why so much of this comedy just fails miserably uh <laughs> is that there's no live audience and so but so for that one weekend update sketch, he performed it over Zoom to cast and crew. And so there was laughter, but it was coming through a computer screen and it was only like six or seven people. And then after that, they didn't have any audience at all because oh, really? we, we basically established that, that, you know, all of the late night shows were going to be performing without laughter. So sort of, you know, SNL then followed suit because they thought that the experiment with Zoom laughter did not work. I didn't mind it. I, I thought it was... Fine. Right. Well, I, they just decided that it that it that it was not good enough for the next weekend update sketch. Um, but but for Danger Force, <laughs> they have it. You got to have the laugh track. It's Nickelodeon live action comedy. They all have they laugh, all tracks, laugh tracks. So you can't cut it, even though it doesn't doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's also this one uh, deals a lot with TikTok dances and learning TikTok dancing. Um, so that's. Because kids. Right, because kids. Because what do kids do and what do kids like? TikTok dances, yes. And what are they all doing during quarantine is TikTok dances. Right, and I think that's that's real quarantine culture. Yeah. Like, a lot of this is sort of, like, imagined quarantine culture by executives. Right. Like, oh, yeah, people are having phone chains <laughs> right. on Zoom. And, yeah, people are having, like, drinking contests over <laughs> Zoom. I don't know. What, what are they doing? They're doing whatever they're doing. They're having meetings in the bathroom. Right. But this is like real That's culture. Real it's shit. TikTok, it's TikTok dances. dances. Um, so what's what's up next, David? Um, there was an Apple TV Plus special uh, of their their Mythic Quest show. Uh, it's called Mythic Quest Ravens Banquet, and it's uh, about a group of game designers. Okay. Um, who are led by kind of this self centered, egotistical. 
leader played by Rob McElhenney from It's Always Sunny. Mm. Uh-huh. And one of the writers of this episode, Megan Gans, uh, is, wrote for It's Always Sunny and uh, also wrote for Modern Family way back when, when they did what may have been the first like Zoom special ever, even before Zoom was a thing. They had this episode about you know, that took place entirely on Claire's desktop, and it was just all about her like calling all of her family and trying to figure out where everyone is and you know, Google searching things and checking flight times online. And it was all just a big ad for, for Apple products because everything was shot on iPhone. <laughs> oh man. Hilarious. Love it. Um, and by love it, I mean, hate it. Um, so then, then we just get into the era of like, <laughs> June was good for BBC, uh, quarantine. Right. You know, things come in waves, right? Because there was a lot of the like rush to programming for everything in, uh, in April and May, you know, in that first month where they were just like, okay, just put it out, just put out like whatever we can really quickly. Just got to do a fundraiser. Right. But the BBC, of course, they were sort of planning ahead and they were like, all right, we need to have sort of a regular schedule programming for throughout June. And they did. And it was all this very culturally uplifting stuff for the most part, sort of unifying behind the British identity, the kind of stuff that you, you know, you look at the BBC and you're like, oh, yeah, it's like, I don't know, a bunch of shows about old white Brits uh, just saying how British they are and how much they like tea. And that's, that's kind of like what we get. Downton Abbey. Yeah. It's, you know, you can't do Downton Abbey quarantine episode, but we get about the. Oh yes, please. The Spanish flu. Just make it happen. They can do it. Yeah, but they, they don't have Zoom. (laughs) They'd all just write letters to each other. It'll be an entirely epistolary, uh, TV episode. That would be amazing. An entirely letter driven episode. I would pay good money for that. We just see people writing letters and then delivering letters and then dropping dead. <laughs> right. Well, instead of that, we have an episode of the, um, the the popular soap opera Doctors, which is, you know, of course, a medical drama, kind of like General Hospital. Um, and they had an episode called Can You Hear Me, where all of the, the characters of Doctors were communicating solely through uh, through Zoom. And again, this is like communicating the best medical practices for, for the audiences. You know, when should you go to the hospital? What is being at the hospital like these days? And then right. on top of that, uh, sort of conveying the difficulties of the NHS right now and how everyone's struggling and hospitals are full kind of thing. So communicating a kind of British solidarity. Um, do you, I, I, I didn't get a chance to, to watch any of the BBC specials. Um, is there any other like sort of notable ones that you wanted to mention from the sort of June onslaught? Yeah, I think for, for fans of Good Omens, <laughs> of which I'm not one, but I'm sure many of our listeners are, Yeah, there was this special that was, or this, you know, this series that was put together by Michael Sheen and David Tennant. And Neil Gaiman, who wrote for all of these. Uh, did, did you write for all of them? Oh, he definitely wrote for, um, the, the couple that you sent me okay well in any case uh there is there's a lot of interesting writers and guest stars on these things yeah but uh they made a special called staged where they play themselves on a zoom call trying to put together a stage reading of a play um i believe it's uh, six characters in search of an author or okay uh, whatever the name of that play is that i can't remember the correct name of (laughs) um (laughs) but it's uh it's just them sort of 
bantering with each other and bickering with each other, which I assume is the appeal of good omens. Is it not? Um, yeah, a little bit, yeah. It's the banter. That is, that is part of it. It's definitely the banter and the sexual tension. <laughs> they're they're wonderful banterers, and, and they just sort of have, like, a pissing contest about who's, like, the more popular actor, who's the better actor, you know. Mm-hmm. And all of this is through Zoom calls that are mostly improvised. And I think that this is, like, the best comedy that's come out of quarantine so far. Oh, yeah. I think, I, I almost think that improv is definitely the way to go um, as far as, like... Right, because Zoom already feels so, like, real life, you know? It, it's Yeah. It's how we experience all of our social interactions today. So to have it be so scripted and stilted and everyone recording on their own is, like... Right. It's, like, death. It's it's, it's terrible <laughs> for, for comedy. But having it be, you know, the awkwardness of the stiltedness of Zoom conversation captured in real time, that's great. They, yeah. They're bringing in Ben Schwartz for season two, who is a great improviser and has become very popular lately. Um, and they had uh, Dame Judi Dench in season one. Hopefully she'll oh come back. Gosh. So I'm very positive about about uh, Staged, which I think had, had something like six episodes, you know, a, a typical British TV season. But then they also had, you know, this cultural uplift programming. Like uh, they brought back this program called Alan Bennett's Talking Heads, which is all just monologues. Okay. And so I thought even though it's not like over Zoom, yeah. the, it's the monologue has become like the aesthetic key of of television the direct address and so i thought that was that was somewhat important to 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 reference yeah and then of course there are other you know non-bbc public television entities for ireland and uh and other places in the uk that had their own comic relief events uh, at different times. Uh, so I think that's that's most of what was important about the BBC stuff. Sort of on the, the other end of the spectrum, uh, in in YouTube land, <laughs> there's, there's this strange, strange show called Lockdown that's on YouTube. It's a YouTube original. Um, what are your thoughts on this, David? It's like a teen mystery thriller, but it doesn't make... Yeah, I love this for kids. Oh, I, think... I, I hate this. Well, it's I mean, for kids. I'm saying it's not for me. But I think, like, I think, you know, kids kids need, like, more dramatic content in their life. You know, stuff that's, that's you know, more horror-based or more, you know, drama-based, mystery-based. And this is, like, this is, like, uh, Unfriended, that, that movie that was, like, kind of a horror thriller ghost thing about, about Skype calls. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the other thing that I'm sure everyone has has joked about already. But like, you know, we're we're talking about Zoom, and this is like Zoom TV shows. Skype, you really shit the bed on this one. Like, you, this this was your moment. Well, I mean, the reason we don't use Skype is is because we have you know these these wonderful Zoom backgrounds uh, <laughs> and our wonderful Zoom you know filters uh, like my Zoom hat that yeah. I'm wearing. Uh, it's incredible. I love your Zoom hat. <laughs> Because you are a true Zoom stan, no matter what you say. But but I guess the trade-off there is that we're selling our face capture, which is which is now being like that data is is obviously not secure and is going to be sold to the highest bidder once you know once they find a buyer for it, and we're being surveilled by the government at all times, who now know all of our faces. Hey, <laughs> what's up, personal FBI agent? There's some there's a joke about that in uh in I think. 
danger force, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, there was a joke about like my my personal assigned FBI agent like watching. I think me. it was in connecting actually. Was it in connecting? Okay. All right. Well, we'll get there. Um, we'll get but, there. But lockdown, you know, it's like Canadian American television. It's like you know the original Degrassi, but with <laughs> with more flirting, maybe just as much flirting. I don't know, just as much flirting for sure, but a lot more murder <laughs> or potential murder. <laughs> right, but it's but it's uh, spoiler alert. It's fake murder. There's no real murder. It's not, it's not a murder. But I but I think, you know, I think it's fine for kids and I, I like that at least YouTube recognizes that it's this huge content provider for kids and that it should be providing yeah. kind of smartly-ish written mystery thriller shows for for kids. Is it smartly written though? Because here's... I don't know, compared to Danger Force. I mean, compared to Danger Force, yes, but you know, I think they have two wildly different like target audiences. Like Mm -hmm. Lockdown is for teens, you know? This is the same people who are watching Riverdale, but like, you know, (laughs) Danger Force is for seven-year-olds. Are they watching Riverdale? I I think, yes, teens fucking love Riverdale. What are you talking about? It's a teen show. I don't think this is actually for teens though. I think it's like... Really? The, you think the it's characters are teens and like it's for like you know seven or eight year olds or maybe maybe tweens perhaps 11 it's for tweens it's it's kind of zoe 101 ish right well when did you watch that when you were like 11 right 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 i'm saying like that's like that's the tweens yeah right but you weren't watching like um, riverdale type shows that existed back when then. i was 11 no that that wasn't until i was 13 <laughs> it's a it's a time of great uh emotional maturity and growth yeah for, yeah. for our youth. Also sort of on the, you know, streaming side of things, Netflix has produced um, quite a few shows um, or... Just just a couple, actually. Just a couple, it, it was, I guess. It was pretty limited because what they, what they released first was kind of this thing of Netflix is somewhere between television and film always. And it yeah. situates itself there. That it's been... Like, what, what people recognize Netflix for during quarantine is not these two shows, but it's for... Right you know, uh, Tiger King and Unorthodox and also all of the films that they've released over the course uh, of quarantine, which I've watched several of. And and a lot of um, reality, you know, sort of programming that, you know, obviously all pre-recorded, but, you know. Right. Well, they're, they've definitely, right. They've definitely branched into, into reality in a big way. Um, yeah. But this was, uh, it's a show called Homemade, which is just a collection of short films created by a bunch of independent producers who don't necessarily have a distribution platform outside right. of festivals, which are now non-existent. Yeah. <laughs> so these are very quickly made, um, you know, quick response films. A lot of them are somewhat interesting. There was one that was specifically a Zoom sort of special. Did you watch that one? Uh-huh. Yeah, the one with the uh, Spanish man and and... Oh, Chilean. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, Chilean, but but uh, speaking Spanish. Yeah, it was. Uh, this was a film by Pablo Larraín, who is a, a Chilean filmmaker, and and basically it's just an old man on a Zoom call with an ex-lover who he's, you know, saying like, you know, I'm in a nursing home, I could die, but you were the one love of my life. Um, what did you, what did you think of this one? I, I like the twist. It's fun. Uh, cause you know, he, he's like, it, a lot of it is almost like a monologue, you know, yes. speaking, going back to that, where it's mostly him monologuing at this woman with her occasionally sort of like saying a line or two here or there. And then at the end, she's basically like, oh, you saying all these things. 
romance. They're so romantic, so erotic. Am I the first one you've called or have you called all the others too? <laughs> and, you know, it turns out he's this serial philanderer who is sort of calling all of his old flames and old mistresses. And, and telling them all they're the one, you know. Right. Yeah, you know, lying and saying like, ugh, my ugly, hideous wife, and <laughs> she wasn't worth it. I made such a mistake leaving you, and I named my daughter after you just so I could say your name. <laughs> and like, you know, all of these very strange, strange things. Yeah. And then, you know, it turns out that all of them just chew him out at the end, and he just is like, oh, they hung up. All right, let's call the next one to like the nursing assistant in the room. <laughs> right, so... Zoom and comedy. Again, we see this sort yeah. of alignment that it's it's hard to take Zoom seriously for, for whatever reason. It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel dramatic. Um, it, it undercuts itself. And then also, yes, the disconnect and the and the searching for connection, that theme that runs through everything. I would say check out um, Homemade and, and the, the short films. I Yeah, some of them are good. Most of them, I think, are somewhat forgettable. But, you know, it's yeah. it's it's an interesting sort of new <laughs> new way to display a, a, a set of thematically related yeah. short films yeah, from, from independent artists. Uh, but Netflix also, a couple weeks ago, um, released a, a show called Social Distance, which is definitely more along the lines of like <laughs> what we were seeing with all of our other Zoom episodes. It's a series of, of one-off anthology bits showing different conflicts right. on, uh, on, on Zoom. Uh, there's eight episodes. There's, like, one with, uh, with Oscar... Uh, I forget his actual last name, but Oscar Martinez from The Office, um, who, uh, you know, he's, like, at a funeral for his, his father, who was, you know, secretly gay, and, and they're their uncle is on who is actually his lover and they just yeah. called him their uncle and there's like there's drama and conflict and then there's one about like a guy who's like trying to stay sober under quarantine yeah. and he's like singing to his plant and then he gets drunk and and then that's how the episode ends like very depressingly there's an episode where two black people have a completely fictitious and non-realistic argument about the protests and whether they are good or not uh, and i guess they don't reach some kind of consensus but maybe we reach some kind of synthesis of black shrug. people need to start their own businesses and profit under capitalism and black people need to protest and give up their jobs because a job and protest are incompatible somehow yeah. i i don't know none of it makes sense to me sense but maybe it's helpful to somebody so that was netflix's uh, contribution i i think social distance another one it's hit or miss i think it has more to say than a lot of the original uh sort of zoom anthology like zoom shows and specials that we were seeing especially from like nbc it's had a little more time to think about it about yeah. what, what the emotional effects are right right um and you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to skip over anything else that came out sort of July through August before we get to connecting, because I feel like I have a lot to say about it. But like, I, yeah, is there is there anything else? Right. Yeah. Let's. Yeah. Should we continue with with NBC's contributions? Sure. Yeah. So NBC, they are money grubbing whores. Um, they are. <laughs> they are. 
<laughs> they are... There goes our sponsorship, David. We'll never be picked up now. <laughs> <laughs> right. So NBC, I mean, they were sort of cutting edge with this stuff. They were very experimental in the beginning with their SNL at home thing, which profited. And they had their late night shows, which also went right. Zoom focused. And they were successful. And they were like, okay, well, let's try like a sitcom with it. And we'll do, you know, Parks and Rec, because that's like a legacy show. You know, it can be a reunion. It can be a big special. And we'll do it as a fundraiser so people won't think that we're a bunch of money grubbing. Hacks. <laughs> what I said before. <laughs> but then they were like, well, what about this upfront event that we're supposed to be doing to sell ad time where we're advertising all of the shows that are coming out and advertising all of our networks and also promoting our new streaming platform, Peacock, uh, which is designed to be kind of like an, an accessory on top of linear television, but not a replacement for linear television because we have cable channels to sell. Um, yeah. So they kind of were like, okay, well, we can, instead of having like an event where people come, we can turn it into an episode of 30 Rock and have it be a reunion episode with the whole cast of 30 Rock. Mm -hmm over Zoom, and it's 30 Rock, a one-time special. And this is another piece of dead media. It doesn't exist anymore. They doesn't got rid of it after like a anywhere. month, and now it doesn't exist anywhere. Um, because it was an ad. It was an ad for the NBC show. Right. right. Like, why? Yeah. It, no purpose. It, it's, it's a series of in-jokes. It's a series of, you know, returns. There are some interesting things going on with the filmmaking of it, I guess, in that, like, for example, uh, you have... Kenneth, uh, the page who is playing both himself as like the executive of NBC, um, and also his assistant, which is just him in drag. Um, oh. and they occasionally do fun gags where he like will do the makeup and like, you know, f uh, paint his fingernails and then like put his own hand on his own shoulder <laughs> to make a joke about himself flirting with himself. Yeah. Um, it's not really funny, but it is an experiment in yeah. the Zoom format. How do you do a scene with two people when there's only one person there? <laughs> that doesn't involve the classic YouTube uh, <laughs> stitching together of, of scenes. Right. I mean, that's what it is, really. It's like a YouTube show. Yeah. But it's, but it's just produced with a huge budget. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And in this case, there's a lot of awkward jokes about quarantine. Like Jenna Maroney at one point is like, uh, the only way that I've been able to pretend that I still have the attention that I normally do is to take credit for all the people clapping uh, at sundown. So oh like God. we mentioned before, all the clapping for, you know, uh, essential for workers. essential workers. Jenna has apparently been soaking up the attention. Yeah. Appropriating it for herself. Right. Uh, so there's jokes like that. And then there's jokes. Uh, there's a joke where Liz Lemon is talking to Tufer, who is, which is the nickname of one of the writers from her show within a show, um, who they called him Tufer because he's, you get two for one. He's a black guy and a Harvard guy. Yeah. And so there's a joke in this where there's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not calling you Tufer anymore. I'm calling you James. James, because this episode, of course, takes place during a lot of civil unrest over particular racial, uh, racial discrimination in this country. Yeah. So there's... They're, you can no longer make that particular kind of joke without yeah. uh, subverting it, I guess, in, in whatever small way. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like, the plot of the episode is that they have to put on the upfront presentation, and so then they do. <laughs> <laughs> and then we watch an upfront presentation on how great Peacock is going to be. Oh, my God. <laughs>
Uh, I can't. So very different from BBC, you know, where the BBC is like, we, all of our things are, are, we're putting them out there to promote the greater good culturally. Right. Very, you know, paternalistic. Like, we have to tell you what you want. And then 30 Rock is like, well, why shouldn't regular viewers participate in our stockholders meeting? Right, exactly. You know, we're bringing you all into the process of capitalism. See, capitalism is so democratic. You guys get right. to see all the behind, the, we're so transparent. Like, look at us. You know. Now, the thing that I find most interesting about this special is that it was not shown in many of the places where it was scheduled to be shown. Oh. Because when the local affiliate channel, so like your local NBC 20, you know, local mm -hmm. NBC channel 4 or whatever, decided we're going to show this special, they looked at it and they were like, wait, this is telling people to stop watching television and start watching Peacock. I'm not yeah. going to show this. Why would I? Why would I show it? So they preempted it in a lot of those places. Legit. So. In many ways, a failure, and and it's it's an interesting sort of conflict that that we're not used yeah. to. Is like NBC is trying to advertise people to stop watching television and start watching their new platform at the same time that they're I trying mean, to promote <laughs> solidarity and yeah. we all we all believe in science here and we all believe I, in masks here. I mean, it's the classic you know capitalist conundrum that we've seen over and over again with every single Target commercial and every single Amazon commercial throughout quarantine despite knowing that like right. Amazon has been one of the worst employers during COVID of like almost any of them you know and right. yet it's still making trillions of dollars <laughs> it's ah cap anyway uh, Freeform did some stuff do you want to talk about that David? Right so I, I mean now we're getting into like people who thought that this would be over quickly yeah. and now are running into the problem of oh my god we don't have any content anything new or relevant everything that we have is filmed in 2019 right. and they're like oh my god we need something quick so there was this another sort of anthology series called Love in the Time of Corona, which just had, it wasn't actually filmed over Zoom or anything. It was filmed just, you know, somewhat socially distanced, kind of like, but it's just like a freeform drama about coronavirus. Uh, so that came out in, in August, August 22nd. Uh, and then in September, we had HBO sort of like uh, released a, a, a film that was kind of like a series of monologues with like Bette Midler and um uh uh what's um what's that guy from from Schitt's Creek the main guy the guy who plays David Oh Dan Levy Yeah Dan Levy has his and um yeah there's a couple of other ones but it's like these really the, the, the special was called Coastal Elites and I I mean like are you proud of of that like <laughs> Is this something that you take pride in, like, being called a coastal elite? It's HBO, David. The only fucking people who have it are also coastal elites who are low-key proud of that. So, like... I, I just think, like, you know, it's... I would I would literally rather watch a special called like a basket of deplorables or something because like <laughs> like that's something to be like proud of being called you know like yeah you know what fuck you I am deplorable you know fuck and you and here's why yeah reclaiming here's it. why because I don't believe in government or whatever you know I don't know what they think makes them good right but like a coastal elite like yeah no one wants to be like a wealthy out of touch weird old Jew nobody wants to be that. I mean, apparently lots of people do enough to make a TV movie about it, David. That's that's the thing. Right. So, you know, it's like Bette Midler is, like, playing this, you know, completely unhinged middle-aged woman who, like, snatches people's, like, MAGA hats.
hats off their heads and like screams uh. at them about the public theater and like how much we love Hamilton and and then like goes to jail for it and then at the end she like dies of coronavirus and it's like very tragic. Oh shit, <laughs> that is very tragic. I don't Not on screen, she dies. Yeah, but she still. dies on screen. But it's just like yeah, it's again we see the return to the monologue, monologism, and we have this like political divide interacting with the with the quarantine divide and the isolation and then you also have just like culture war stuff so like yeah. Dan Levy his thing is about how he's been cast in a movie as the first openly gay superhero uh, and the director asks him to play it really gay and he's like no <laughs> and that's like the conflict no okay I mean, it's legit. And it's like, at the end of the day, the stakes in that are nothing, right? <laughs> like, they're below zero. It's. I mean, especially considering everything that's fucking happening. Yeah, they're, right. it feels very minimal. Like, yeah, who gets to play the gay superhero and who gets to play them how and how they want to do it? Like, I mean, there are gay and bisexual and pansexual superheroes who exist right now who are in major franchises, whether people, you know, accept that or not. Or acknowledge it. Or acknowledge it. But, you know, I'm just saying, like, representation matters, but is it the most important thing that we can be, you know, talking about in quarantine? I don't know. I, maybe it's the most, you know, I bet it is the most important thing to some people. Like, I, I wouldn't dismiss it out of hand. Right, but that's, like, a problem. That, like, it's not more important to you that people are starving and that people are dying. <laughs> like, Right. I mean, here's the thing. It's possible to care about both things. You know, it's not it's not an oppression Olympics. Yes, but if you're if you're if you're only gonna make one quarantine special yeah. and in it you're going to feature the political discourse as it exists right now. Right. And the main thing that you're focusing on is like, do we have diverse enough superheroes in our superhero movies? Right. Like there are a lot more relevant um, issues affecting queer and trans and gay people right now that are not about... Right. I mean, d diversity and representation that. is not just in superheroes. Right, correct. Like, there are other films. Correct, there are other films. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I, do you want to talk about Vomo at all, or should we just... Right. right. Well, I, I think uh, we just we continue the trend of these like, you know, socially conscious uh, fundraising events. This is one on ABC um, that was hosted by Michelle Obama and, and Kevin Hart, which I guess glad he got to host something after he got, you know, he wasn't allowed to host the Oscars uh, because he made a gay joke. Uh, glad he gets to host something, I guess. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, he's this one is to promote voting. So good, good event. No problems with it. Lots of sketches. Will Ferrell shows up. Not too much else to say. And then what's left? Connecting. Your background. <laughs> yeah, so this is the only one that I think is currently running that I could find. Yes. It's the uh, most recent Zoom TV, and it's it's NBC. Currently airing. Because they've done their experiments, they've done their fundraisers, they've done their upfront events. The only thing left to do with Zoom TV is to make a series out of it. Yep, yep. That's all that's left. And NBC has done it. They've really been at the forefront of uh, Zoom television. Right. Um, so, yeah, this this is airing Thursdays currently at a, something like 8.30, 9.30, something like that. Uh, so you can catch it if you want to. <laughs> I'm enjoying this show, but David hates it. So let's get into the weeds. I don't hate it. It's just, like, it's very much, like, let's do Friends, like, the show Friends, but, like, with less iconic characters and with, you know, sort of unknown actors for the most part and then we're just gonna kind of gesture at the idea of socially distanced friendship and relationships what do you mean by gesture at it i don't know it's just like what what happens on like a given episode like nothing <laughs> 
Just like some benign arguments. No, I think so. So this is one thing that I think is interesting that that sort of came to me as I was watching this show is that because a lot of the action is really restricted to one, what you're doing in your house um, or two, you know, the as you were saying, like these mid mid shots, like above the right. above the chest, uh, you know, sort of just like eye contact, everyone staring straight ahead. You know, it's that's mostly what it is. It feels, and and a lot of it feels like monologues, but then when you combine a bunch of, like, talking heads together into a Zoom call, you basically just get a stage play without a lot of, like, blocking, you know? Right, but the... There's nothing. There's nothing stage play like about the writing. It's just. It doesn't. It doesn't. It. It doesn't fit with its form. You know. Mm. Like I love a good stage play. This is just a sitcom that's devoid yeah. of any action or plot. You know. That's all it is. It's. There's no like. You know. This isn't Virginia Wolf. You know. We're not. Uh, this isn't. Um. I don't know. What's a good playwright? Fuck. I'm so uncultured. <laughs> This is not Gertrude Stein, uh, you know. <laughs> this isn't like a David Mamet play. Yeah. It's, there's no snap, this, the dialogue is not as snappy, there's not as much of like a stakes to their, their conflicts. It's very low stakes. Um, there's, there's no like philosophical talk or, you know, high-minded talk that I associate with stage plays. Not that that's necessarily always a good thing. Sometimes it can be very pretentious, but I think like connecting when it's, what it's about is like, okay, you've got your likable female lead who wants to date likable male lead but likable female leads not afraid to tell likable male lead that she likes him and he likes her too but he's afraid of rejection so he's gonna go back to his ex and blah 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 i mean listen who cares i i find them compelling and entertaining it doesn't need to be a groundbreaking plot to to check those boxes well speaking of checking boxes very very diverse cast i mean very diverse cast and and i think you know i think part of what a appeals to me is exactly what they were going for is that this is kind of what a millennial friend group feels like today you know mm. where half of you are like still working service jobs and working as a delivery driver some of you are still in school the other half of you are like already established in a career and you're like the like settled friends who you know you're the friends with kids are these like millennials they look like 50 <laughs> I don't they're not 50. <laughs> they look very old to me. No. <laughs> I mean, they're maybe a little bit more Gen Z, but I, I say they, they go from, like, low Gen Z down to, like, my age millennials. You know, people from their late 20s to their, like... You mean Gen X. Gen X. Sorry, not Gen Z. Yes. You know, like, some some people from their late 20s to, like, their late 30s. Like, that sort of 10-year gap. Because, I, I don't know, it feels... All right, maybe. At least to me, it feels representative of of, you know, people who I am actually friends with having issues that, like, are very familiar to me. And I, I agree that sometimes the writing on the show is a little heavy-handed and that, you know, not everything is handled as well as it could have been. But I I admire the, the impulse to try to actually have conversations about these things and not just sort of right. be like, it's fine, we're all in this together and everything's great, you know? Right. I mean, I, I don't think that there's anything wrong wrong with like having people expressing like their loneliness, their isolation, their frustration mm -hmm. with their partners, you know, these kind of things. I think those are fine conflicts to have. I just don't like find these characters in particular very compelling. I don't I don't think they, they fit into like the, the niches that I guess I expect of like a sitcom, you know, mm. 
for people who like friends, I assume that part of the appeal is that, you know, they're so like, oh, which one are you? You know, like, are you the, are you the Monica, the very anal retentive one? Or are you the, uh, the nerdy one? Are you Ross? Are you uh, the stuck up Rachel or the, I don't know. What are the other ones? There's the funny guys. There's the flirty guy. There's the nerdy guy. There's the kooky girl, the hot girl. And these guys are all like, I am the wealthy wine drinking one. No, that's entirely not true. There are two wealthy <laughs> wine drinkers and and one like semi-middle-class to wealthy, like, gay dad. But everyone else is, like, not that. I just feel like they're all the the, the ones the ones who know each other. They, I don't, I, I have trouble defining them, putting them into boxes, and maybe that's my, my struggle. I, I think that's, that's on you. I think, you know, and I also think, you know, we're only three episodes in, and I don't think it's necessarily bad that they're not just caricatures of, you know, these archetypes. No, not that they're caricatures or whatever, but just, like, like, what roles do they play in each other's lives? Like, other than just they're all friends with each other. I felt kind of this, you know, this, like, just lack of form to it. It's sort of formless at this point. Do you feel like it's because they, there's no sort of explanation of the backstory of how they all, like, met? And, like, became friends because... No, they just, they don't, the, the functions in each other's lives are restricted to, you know, like a daily Zoom call or, or semi-daily, you know, decompressing Zoom call where they just talk to one another. It's like, they're not providing particular types of support to each other compared to just the coming together of a group of friends. It feels like, you know, sort of the pilot, you know, that, that, you, that everyone thinks that they want to pitch when they're in, like, college where they're just like, me and my friends are such crazy characters, you know, we should just all have a show, mm. right? But, the, like, that's not interesting. <laughs> I don't know. I'm finding it interesting and compelling enough. Um, we'll, we'll see uh, if that continues throughout the, the remainder of the... It's only an eight-episode series, I think, right? Yeah, that, that was the, the initial order. Yeah. It was, like, a straight-to-series thing because they were just like, let's get this out as quickly <laughs> as possible. We just needed content! Just in case quarantine ends or something. Right. Uh, notable, I think, is that both connecting and social distance, at the end of one of their episodes, there's just, like, everyone just stops what they're doing, what they're talking about, and then picks up their phones and then, like, sees the George Floyd footage yeah. and then just, like, starts crying and then the episode just like cuts to black like both of them use this this tool and i feel like it's almost like co-opting the the event i don't i don't feel like it is that respectful yeah. but i i don't I, I don't know what to say about it. I'm, I'm not responsible for that at all right i mean i think in at, at least in connecting that's one of the things that i don't know if they handled best like i i don't think it's something that they should necessarily have ignored if you know it does seem like the goal of the right. show is to talk about all of the social change movements and issues that are both personal and political and social that have come up because of quarantine that seems to be the goal of the series right. and so you know i don't think it would have made sense for them to ignore George Floyd or, you know, Breonna Taylor or anything like that. But I think just the way that it was introduced into the show was very strange. And it, it I agree with you that it feels strange that it was sort of just like everyone get 
gets really sad and logs off and then cut to black. Right, because because that's how most people in real life experience it. Right. They're just sort of going along with their normal li- life and then suddenly there's an, a notification or they're scrolling through Facebook and they see it. Yeah. And it's just there. Yeah. And there's nothing dramatic about that or comedic about yeah. it. It just is a thing. And I think that that's, that's kind of the sense that I get from almost all of these specials is it's just a sense of like history is happening right now. Yeah. If we don't, if we don't acknowledge it, we are the assholes. Oh, yeah. But there's no way to acknowledge it. Right. And so we're left with just this vast wasteland, <laughs> to quote a, uh, you know, a, a famous monologue about television. That television is a vast wasteland. Zoom TV is also a vast wasteland where nothing of value can be said. Nothing can be contributed. It's just a recreation of all of our daily human interactions on television. So do you think that we'll get better Zoom TV shows post-quarantine? No. <laughs> Really? I think that this is it. This is what we have. I think, you know, why would they make more after quarantine? You know, it's no longer relevant then. I mean, I I feel like we're going to get... I think we're even going to stop seeing it for the rest of quarantine because because in-person... in-person production has, has sort of begun again. Right. You know, people are wearing masks and they're shooting things. You know, all the blockbusters are shooting, all the TV shows are filming. Right. Um, on NBC, uh, Superstore is coming back, live action, right. with two newly filmed episodes uh, that that are about coronavirus and that are going to have America Ferreira's goodbye in it. I don't know if that already happened by the time you're watching this. Uh. But. We'll see. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I don't think it will necessarily be, um, like, as as much of a trend as it has been during quarantine. But I think that, you know, once this is all over and we've had more time to digest it, I think more creative or interesting or critique-worthy media is going to pop up that potentially uses this format. Um, right. Like, the desktop and, show in general. Like, right. a show that takes place entirely on a computer. Yeah, and I mean, like, that, that's that been a thing for a while now, you know, basically since... Well, I mean, not really on television, not that much. I mean, there's the... Not that much on television, and I don't know how much, you know, it will continue to be on television or not. I mean, basically what I've seen is the Modern Family episode, and then there's a large collection of horror films and thriller films. Right, but there was the... Um, but there was a comedy on HBO with What's-Her-Face from Friends, Phoebe, what's-her-name, I'm forgetting there was a lisa kudrow yes there was a um there was an hbo show this is like a decade ago now starring lisa kudrow where she was like a psychologist who was doing like therapy sessions online um and that was an entirely a desktop comedy show and i don't think it lasted very long but like it existed so like you know these things might not be cultural touchstones but like i know that lisa kudrow in an hbo show was not the first time that someone had attempted to do a comedy like this you know like i think i I think these shows are out there but like just no one has watched them because there's been zero interest outside of like the already online YouTube crowd because you know we can look back at um so many YouTube shows got their start this way you know or or hit it big like the Lizzie Bennett diaries even like Lonely Girl and and all that as an ARG like it was all in right vlogging and fictional vlogging exactly all these things yeah yeah it's a new it's a new medium zoom even though it's the same as Skype and it's the same as all web chat. Right. It still feels new because it was this business that emerged 
emerge basically overnight mm-hmm. as a necessary. normal part of our everyday social life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as sort of something necessary to keep the wheels of entertainment production rolling. Right. But but I, I and I think you're right that this particular kind of Zoom TV is truly a thing of the moment, but I think that we are going to be looking back and reflecting on 2020 for years and years to come. And I I find it really hard to imagine a future where, you know, using the Zoom format is not a part of those um, reimaginings of this time. I I guess I just don't find that as as ridiculous. I mean, I think that the, you know, the, the Lisa Kudrow show, the web therapy, I think that that's kind of like the exception that proves the rule that like, this is like a novelty. And when it's no longer necessary to produce things this way, it will disappear. I, I agree with you. I think that it will not, like I said, not nearly be as prolific or as important or even necessarily being the exact same format that we're seeing it in right now. But I don't know. I think that someone is going to do something with it. Like, like I just, I have two much optimism and human creative potential to think that like some weird indie director somewhere doesn't have a great idea like bubbling up right now yeah i mean i feel like i have a lot of (laughs) a lot of faith in creative potential which is why i think we don't need this okay we can move on from it you know we can create something totally new that doesn't suck. That's fair. Um, If you would like us to continue creating things that hopefully don't suck nearly as much as the Zoom calls (laughs) that we're critiquing, uh, you can tweet at us at Talking Tropes to tell us what we should uh, continue creating about. And uh, next week we're going to have another uh, Standing Stanley Tucci episode as we continue to watch everything that Stanley has ever been in. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Perfect. Uh, (laughs) We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's for tweens. It's it's kind of Zoe 101-ish.